All right, listen. So my top artists ever are Tupac, Bob Marley, and Fela Kuti. I have those guys in my top three, not just because their music is incredible, but because they added social consciousness to their music in a way that's just timeless. And today, we're going to focus on probably the least known of those three, Fela Kuti, the inventor of Afrobeat. And we're going to talk about a specific event. On February 18, 1977 in Lagos, Nigeria, Fela, who's probably at that point already the biggest musical artist in African history, had his home surrounded by the Nigerian army. Here's an actor reading a part of an interview Fela did years later, remembering the scene. A thousand soldiers surrounding your house. This really draws a lot of crowds. There were about 60,000 people watching this scene. It was like a big theater show. At that point, Fela had been a critic of the Nigerian government for about 15 years. He felt the politicians were all corrupt and didn't really care about the progress of Nigeria. He went so far as to declare his home, a home that was in Lagos, Nigeria, an independent state. He called it Calicuta. My name is Baudelaire, and today on Atlas Obscura, we're going to hear the story of the Calicuta Republic and about the day the Nigerian army invaded. More after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. Let me introduce you to Fela Kuti's daughter. My name is Yeni Anikola Kukuchi. Today, Yeni is a musician, and she's also one of four hosts of a Nigerian TV show called Your View, which is kind of like the show The View that we have here in the U.S. And just like her father, Yeni is outspoken. But back in the 60s and 70s, she was just a kid living at Calicuta with her family. I used to stay there with my father, my mom, my grandmother, my siblings. By the time Yeni was around, her dad was already a star in the Nigerian music scene. But it wasn't until a trip to America in 1969 that Fela Kuti became politically minded. When he went to America, he saw how black people were being oppressed and how they were fighting against the oppression. While in the U.S., Fela was put on to the black power movement and the books that went with it. I'm talking about books like Soul on Ice by Eldridge Cleaver and the autobiography of Malcolm X. Before his trip, he was making songs like this. This is a song called Obey, and it's jamming, but it's literally about soup. 
But after his political awakening, Fela started making songs like this. This song, which is one of my favorites from Fela, is called Why Black Man They Suffer. It's about colonialism and the exploitation of African people all over the world. Yenny told me her dad had a phrase he used to say. Fela had a phrase, music is the weapon of the future. The other artist I could think of who used his music really effectively as a political weapon was Bob Marley. I think it's a good comparison. Bob Marley fought for the, for the oppressed, mm-hmm. and Fela did the same. So, unfortunately, Bob Marley died very early, so they didn't get a chance to meet. Fela also owned a club, and he called it the Africa Shrine. Every Friday, people would pack the place, not to hear this musical genius play his hits, but to hear his political philosophy and his opinions on Nigeria's politicians. Nigeria sits on a huge oil reserve, and Fela and other activists felt that the wealth from this oil should benefit all Nigerians. But instead, the politicians made deals with Western energy companies that benefited only the politicians. Fela spoke out against this kind of government corruption every chance he could. And this tension between him and the government of Nigeria, which I should mention was a military government, led to Fela's home being raided pretty often. After a raid in 1971, the police arrested him for smoking marijuana. While he was in jail, Fela had what he called his first encounter with prisoners. Here's Fela again, voiced by an actor. Prisoners, what other people called criminals? The picture I had before of criminals was ugly. I see them come to court, not bit, yeah, not combed, and clothes dirty. But when I got to a cell, I knew it was their treatment that made them that way. I also found out that everybody in that cell wanted a better life. They just didn't understand or couldn't participate in the society they found themselves in. So eventually, Fela gets out of jail, and that sense of community he found in there only made his thinking and music more political. When he got back to his home, he decided he would name it Calicuta Republic, which was a parody of Calcutta, the name of the jail he was in. And, and I, I read that he he declared it uh, independent from the rest of Nigeria. Yes, he did. Yeah, how, how did he do that? He just declared it. The government said you cannot have a republic within a republic. So they banned the name. So he changed the name to Kalakuta Empire. You heard that right. Fela declared his home, which at that point was more like a compound, a separate state within the Nigerian state, which, of course, pissed off the military government of Nigeria. Eventually, Yeni, her mom, and her siblings moved out of Kalakuta to escape the madness that surrounded Fela. And Fela bought them a house not too far away. But Yeni remembers what it was like at Kalakuta. You know, some people just wanted to be around him. Um, homeless people came. And Fela welcomed everybody. Welcomed everybody mm-hmm. into his world. So slowly but surely, it became a very popular place for people who didn't have anywhere to go. But while Fela's popularity amongst the everyday Nigerian people was growing more and more, so was his tension with the Nigerian government. And the police constantly wanted to raid Kalakuta. So first, Fela built a wall, but the police would just climb over it. So he built a fence, but they would cut it down. So he built another fence. And that is how we get to February 18th, 1977. Fela Kuti was home when he looked outside to see a thousand Nigerian soldiers surrounding his house trying to raid it again. But they couldn't, because this new fence had been modified. I had electrified the fence, you know, 
So anytime they touch the fence, the soldiers, they had to run back. So they had to order the electrical authority to switch the lights off in the area. It took them three hours. So there was the advantage that gave me so the people could really see that I was being attacked without attacking anybody. Fela had bought generators in case something like this happened. So he turns on the generators and the fence is electrified again. But the police also had another plan. They set Fela's generator on fire. But it was a gasoline generator. So once they did that, the fire spread. And then they were able to gain access. And when they gained access, they beat up everybody. And they couldn't find Fela at last. They, they, I think they were there for a few hours before they found Fela. When they found him, they beat the shit out of him and arrested all of them. It, it, was, it, it was hours, it was hours and hours of army brutality. One of the people who was at Calakuta that day was Fela's mother, Fanmileo Kuti. After the police beat her, they threw her out of a second-story window. By the time Yeni, her siblings, and their mom made it over to Calakuta, it was dark and the damage had been done, and nobody knew where Fela was. My mom started to scream, they've killed them, they've killed him, they've killed them. And my uncle was telling my, my brother, stay down, stay down. Because my brother looked a lot like my father, so... And that was what we saw. The house had been burnt, nothing. I mean, in our wildest dreams, we didn't expect to see anything like that. But Fela wasn't dead. Fela was brought to prison and not actually charged with anything. He'd be let out in just a few days. But that raid added more fuel to Fela's fire. And he wrote about it on this song called Unknown Soldier. He describes the whole thing. You know, if you listen to Fela's music, you, you might not even have to have this interview. On this song, he also mocks the soldiers as being mindless and only following orders. Fela's mom never fully recovered from her injuries, and she would die a little over a year later. Fela was seen by his people as a warrior, and many people never saw him cry until his mother's funeral. Fela brought his mother's coffin to the doorsteps of General Obasongo, the general of the Nigerian army who Fela held responsible for the death in the first place. Fela wrote about his mother's passing and bringing the coffin to the general in this song called Coffin for Head of State. Fela loved his mother. His revolutionary spirit, though it sprung alive in the U.S., came from his mother. She was an anti-colonial activist and was the first woman in Nigeria to have a driver's license. After her death, one of Fela's bandmates said Fela became double or triple of whatever he could be before. He was more intentional. He spoke out even more in interviews and was more harsh in his critiques of the government. And he even worked harder on his music. That original home that was burned down was never rebuilt, but Fela did build a new Calakuta Republic. And to Fela, it didn't matter that the original had been burned down because Calakuta was a state of mind. And this new Calakuta would be Fela's home until he passed away in 1997 due to complications with the AIDS virus. But you can still visit Kalakuta Republic. After Fela passed, Yeni and her partner repurposed the home into the Fela Kuti Museum. In the deep recesses of my mind, I really wanted to turn the house into a museum because it's a legacy. 
Around 2012, the Calicuta Museum opened its doors to fans from all over the world. It's a three-floor museum with something special on each floor. On the first floor, you have the gift shop where you can buy official Fela merchandise. On the second floor, you have Fela's room exactly as he left it. The family knocked out a wall and replaced it with a glass wall. Maybe because I used to go there to see him. I can actually envision him lying there. And then the two rooms beside, one is his political manifesto. We found that and put that up. His clothes is in the other room, his fur coats and different things. And we have loads of pictures. Above that, on the third floor, you have a hotel where fans can literally stay in Fela Kuti's home. Each room's theme is a different Fela album, but if you're interested, you should book far in advance because those rooms are almost always booked out. Fela Kuti's music is just as powerful today as it was when he was alive. And while Fela is still seen as this radical political figure, Yeni told me his legacy is much simpler than that. His politics was politics of truth. Mm. He wanted a better Nigeria. Mm. That's it. He wanted a better Nigeria. Fela was fighting for the freedom of the African all over the world. Fela loved his people for, from the day he was born to the day he died. I want to give a special thank you to Yeni Kuti for sitting down with me for today's episode. This podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. Our production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed and mixed by Luce Fleming. And the excerpts of Fela Kuti's interviews were read for us by Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. If you want to learn more, be sure to visit atlasobscura.com. There's a link in our episode description. My name is Baudelaire. Witness Docs from Stitcher. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. Of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Decoder Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Decoder Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Decoder Ring, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by The New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.